Great power does not always come with accountability. And when that's missing, we need to find a way. Here's an example. America's 300 leading corporations have vast influence on the world we live in. Their combined revenues are equal to almost half America's gross domestic product. They generate about $12 trillion a year, and they employ some 22 million people. So investors and policymakers, not to mention the general public, all need to know how those firms advance social equity and protect the planet, and how they don't. That's according to Maggie Delmas at the UCLA Anderson School of Management and its Center for Impact. In the first of an annual series of reports, she has evaluated standards set to measure how much those 300 companies are disclosing about their impacts. So what are they telling us? Not much. Hello again, I'm Armin Alney, and this is How the World Works, a podcast series from UCLA Anderson. Professor Delmas, welcome back. Hi, Warren. You focused on what is called ESG. What do those letters stand for? So the E stands for environment, the S for social, and the G for governance. So environment will be things like climate change, land use, waste, water use. The S is going to be about diversity and inclusion, pay quality, wage level, health and safety, training provided. And the governance is going to be about ethics, mostly anti-corruption, things like that. Now, different groups are trying to set standards to measure disclosure, and you chose those from the World Economic Forum. How come? We decided to focus on the World Economic Forum. And the reason why we did this is because the goal of the metrics set up by the World Economic Forum was to be kind of universal, to apply to different sectors. And so that's a little bit different than what SASB is trying to do, which is to establish metrics that are applicable to specific sectors. So if all the companies have to report what would be a set of metrics that should be required to all of them. What are the most important ones? And that's what the World Economic Forum tried to do by establishing 21 metrics that are kind of the most used and the most standardized overall, and that are aligned with the most standards. So that's kind of was our idea to use that set, which seemed to be promising because it could be applicable to a broader set of companies. So you talk about four different things, the planet, the people, governance, and also prosperity. What's the significance of prosperity in this context? Yeah, I mean, that's interesting. And the World Economic Forum went beyond the traditional ESG. They call them differently, the people, planet, and governance, and they added prosperity. And so prosperity in this framework is about the economic contribution of the firm their ability to innovate, how much taxes they pay. So it's kind of the contribution to society in a more positive way. We tend to look at people and planet, and planet in particular, as negative externalities on the planet, and we want to reduce them. And prosperity in that case is about kind of looking at the positive impact that these companies are having on our economy. It is interesting that they, they are using this additional pillar in their framework. Back to the 300 companies that are so powerful and so important, to what extent are they failing to meet standards for disclosure by the World Economic Forum? 
I just want to kind of say upfront that not all companies have been implemented the World Economic Forum. They might implement a different one. But what we find is among all of these 21 metrics, the overall disclosure is about 50%. So most companies are disclosing on half of what the World Economic Metrics propose. They tend to be higher on the governance pillar and prosperity pillar, but lower on planet and people. So on planet, it's 44%. So they report only on 44% of the planet metrics. And on the people, it's 29%. So the social side is really underrepresented. What we also find is that the disclosures are also not fully audited. So only 9% of these companies state that they actually fully audited their disclosures. Compliance with these standards is completely voluntary. So why should the companies reveal more? What's going to make them look good? That's really a good question. So because all of this is voluntary, firms will likely report on the things that help them look good, as you say. What we see here, we are looking at the 300 companies from the Fortune list and S&P 500 list. And these companies are the most successful companies. They are those with the highest revenues. They therefore have resources to devote to ESG issues. They also have a status. They are very visible. So when we're looking at these 300 companies that are the most successful companies, we would expect that they are those that are actually making more of an effort to disclose this information. That's a little bit problematic. And this is because, of course, if they don't have to do it, they tend to kind of not do it, especially when the information is not as positive as they would like. So as long as these disclosures are voluntary, we will have this issue that it's really hard to compare different companies because some of them disclose, some others don't. So what do you do about the lack of information? How do you evaluate and compare companies when you have only half of the information that you need? You don't name them. Why don't you do that? Why don't you reveal their names and how they compare one with one another? The idea is that this first report is to evaluate the situation and, and to decide for the next report, because we want to do this annually. The idea is to see what the state of corporate disclosure is, what are the metrics that need more work, and what would be the metrics that have the most potential to be reported annually. Our goal is to issue a transparency index with an information about companies. Now, these are all companies which you indicated are very visible and watched by a lot of people. So no doubt they are claiming that they're doing great things in all of these categories, but I take it they're not. To what extent are they avoiding the issue? It's just hard to tell. We just know that they are not providing information. In terms of voluntary versus mandated. In Europe, there is kind of a big impetus. The European Commission is issuing directives so that companies will have to disclose. So then we'll have this information. We'll be able to know which ones are doing better than others. Right now, when we don't have the information, it's just hard to know the extent of the problem. At this point, we are in a place, and especially with climate change, where you know we need to make some progress in the next 10 years. The next 10 years are really critical for reducing greenhouse gas emissions. The U.S. is one of the largest greenhouse gas emission source, and business operations represent a significant source of our emissions, including both direct and indirect emissions from electricity use. Industry accounted for 30% of total U.S. greenhouse gases emission in 2020. So this is the largest contributor of any sector. 
But then what is exactly the contribution of each company within that? It's hard to evaluate. And we need this information. We need to have information about the negative externalities of firms if we want them to change. Without this information, it's just hard to do anything, right? If you don't know you have a problem, you're probably not going to do anything about it. If you think about the drivers of behavior change, it's usually you have to learn about the extent of the problem. Second, you have to know what you can do to solve the problem. And third, you have to actually want to do something about it. And at this point, we don't even have the first step, which is learning about the impact of these specific companies to be able to make any change. So without knowing this first step, it's going to be hard to see any change. So I think that's really why we need mandated disclosure to be able to kind of, as a first step, just see. You know, when everything is voluntary at this point, we're really far from being able to do what needs to be done, actually, by just requiring disclosure of these companies. You haven't used the term greenwashing, but it comes to mind. And I wonder if there's a lot of that going on and if that's one of the ways that the companies can stall any kind of regulations. The Securities and Exchange Commission has been looking into that, demanding that uh, money manager explain the standard they use for classifying some funds as ESG focused. And it's really hard to know how they do things. The information that is gathered by companies that are doing the research on ESG, they tend to not provide much information on how they do things. And so more and more ESG insiders have started sounding alarms. A lot of the marketing is hype and that there is some greenwashing. And that's really problematic, not having the information, you know, and potentially firms saying things that are not completely true is really problematic. Tesla CEO Elon Musk called the ESG a scam once Tesla lost its place on the S&P 500 ESG index, representing companies that are ESG focused. And so he said, you know, how come is my company out of this when ExxonMobil is there still? I mean, it's just, you know, hard to know exactly how this was decided. There were incidents of uh, racial discrimination at one of Tesla's factories that could have been a part of the decision. But then when you don't have the full information, transparency on how these decisions of including or excluding a company are made, it's really kind of harder to trust ESG investing in work. So the Securities and Exchange Commission has its work cut out for it, let's put it that way. In the meantime, what's the importance of academic research, including yours? You say you want to do this on an annual basis. I think there's a need for academia to participate in helping design quality metrics. So I think it can help with transparency and diffusion of the information by providing this information to the public. It is currently quite expensive to get information on the ratings of companies on ESG. You have to pay these companies. And, and so I think that if we can provide this data to the public, we can help not only kind of, you know, investors who probably have the money to pay, but, you know, the public more generally to kind of see the difference between these companies. It can also help train our students to learn about environmental and social impact measurement. PW says that they will hire 100,000 new employees in ESG. So there's going to be a lot of demand for our students to be trained and understand what these metrics mean. How do you measure environmental impact? How do you measure social impact? All of this is going to be you know, more standardized. But in the meantime, our students need to understand all the potential pitfalls that are associated with these measurements. 
One of the big disputes amongst economists for a long period of time, certainly since Milton Friedman, has been whether companies need to have a social conscience or whether they should only be concerned with their shareholders. Are you asking these companies to have a social conscience? Is that part of what's going on here? Well, I mean, you know, there's uh, always kind of this big debate on whether it pays to be green. And this has been going on for a long time. In the most recent years after Friedman, the sentiment among the academic community was, yes, possibly there are ways for companies to benefit from being green. For example, if you reduce your waste or your energy use, you are more efficient, you reduce your cost. Or if you are training your employees or you know, treating them in a more socially responsible way, they're going to be more productive, they will be more likely to work for your company. So there are ways to make this connection. But when we think about the real problems such as climate change, it's probably unlikely that everything is going to be win-win. There will be some trade-offs and that's going to be more difficult for companies. So it's not always obvious that you will benefit from being green. And so that's why regulation is required. That's why, you know, if you are just doing voluntary disclosure or voluntary reductions, you're never going to be able to get to the same level as with government regulation. In the meantime, if in fact you can benefit from going green and from social impact as well, is that something that investors look for when they're deciding what company to invest in as opposed to others? Yes, I mean, I think the idea behind socially responsible investing, which is choosing companies that are greener or more socially responsible, is that the ability to be greener or more responsible is correlated with some other good management practices. And that by identifying firms based on these criteria, you're identifying firms that are just well-managed in general and therefore more profitable. So that's kind of the idea behind the ESG movement, saying, you know, if you don't take into account the risks associated with some of these environmental issues or social issues, then you are going to lose money in the long term. You know, that's the idea behind socially responsible investing. So does the SEC or any other agency have the power to organize in such a way that instead of having any number of different standard setters, as you suggested at the outset, we just have one and that they can actually be measured and people can understand what's going on? Yes, I mean, that's what the SEC is trying to do. So the Securities and Exchange Commission is proposing a rule for carbon emission disclosure. So that's a standard that all firms that are publicly traded will have to follow and they'll have to disclose their emissions for scope one, scope two, and potentially scope three if it's material. And also explain how board members are dealing and the process to develop this information. So, so this is a good step in the right direction because you know now we will be able to evaluate the impact of firms on climate. There's a lot of debate and tension in the political process. So whether this role will be enacted is still a question. And the critics are saying, well, you know, it takes so much time for firms to gather all this information. We don't need to do it. You know, what's the point of doing this? What I'm saying is this is the first step in behavior change. You need to know what the problem is before you can solve it. So that's kind of the first step. And not only the companies need to know, but the public needs to know. What do you mean by scope one, two, and three? Well, greenhouse gas emissions are 
divided in three scopes. Scope one is the emissions of the operations of the firm. Scope two is the electricity purchased to produce this product for the operations. And scope three is everything else. And so scope three, the emissions from the supply chain, it's encompassing all the life cycle of production and its impacts on climate. I think your point is so important. As we look forward to trying to solve these problems, we don't even really know yet what the problems are. Yes, we don't really know the extent of the problem on all of these issues. I am a big fan of information policies. The big one in the United States is the toxic release inventory that was issued in the 1980s after the Right to Know Act. And the idea was you have the right to know in your community what companies are issuing in terms of toxic releases. And that's really a big, big change that companies are to provide this information to the public in terms of the pounds of toxic pollutants that they put in the community. We've seen the power of these information strategies and Europe is moving forward with their directives on disclosure. But after that, of course, the next step is, okay, now that we know, what do we do? We need to kind of to get to that point pretty soon, I think. What progress do you see at the moment? Is this recognized in the Congress and anywhere else aside from the SEC? You know that this is a very controversial issue. We're talking here about the United States, right? If you go beyond what's happening you know, in the world, I'm not very optimistic of our ability to get governments to agree to do the right thing. And with what's happening currently in Ukraine, we see a lot of coal being used. So we're going back to levels of coal usage that are back to 10 years ago. So that's not very positive as a development. So hopefully our business community will be able to innovate and find solutions that are needed. But in terms of government, it's just hard for them to do much of anything beyond disclosure. So the SEC then is very important in this issue. Is your goal just to try to make an impression on the SEC? Well, we had actually a discussions with Gensler, the chair of the SEC. We sent him the report and the report in some ways, it might be helpful. The report might be helpful in the sense that we are finding currently on greenhouse gas emissions, scope one and scope two, a higher disclosure rate than what we anticipated, which is about 80%. So this part in some ways can help the SEC saying, oh, look, guys, you're already disclosing on this, so it shouldn't be too much of an issue. But what we're doing with this report is not just about climate. It's about all of these issues that are related to not only the environment, but also social issues. And so what we are pointing out is the need, especially on the social side, to get better information. At this point, it's a very muddy place where it's kind of difficult to figure out how people are evaluating diversity elements of the workforce. So that information is really missing when we have only 29% on the people pillar in terms of reporting. And on the social side, what is interesting is that there is already some disclosure required, but it's the EO1 form, which is requiring firms to disclose information, not only on you know, gender and diversity, but also the employment position of their employees. So this information is already required, but not disclosed by firms. So sometimes what we find with all the critics that are saying, oh, it takes us so much time to gather this information, there is already some information that is required by the government. 
but the public cannot access because it's not disclosed publicly. So I think there are some elements of these metrics that could be not that costly for firms to, to disclose because they're already sending the information out to the government. You're saying that the area where there are the most requirements are the least complied with. Yes. I mean, I think it goes back to one of your questions stating why are they not providing information? And sometimes people think that this information is sensitive. If we shy away from information that we find sensitive, then we shy away maybe from the important questions. Tell us more about what you think the role of academia ought to be. I think that the role of academia is to help develop metrics that have scientific background. Research firms that are developing the ESG data currently have made many choices about how they collect the data. So how they analyze it, how they aggregate it. But this information is often not available to the public, even for those who actually purchase the data, because if they give out their algorithm, then they could be imitated and they lose then, therefore, their competitive edge. So they tend to remain very vague on how they compute their ratings and how they collect the data and all of that. So that's kind of a problem because the issue of greenwashing, you don't really know how they measure these issues. In academia, it's the reverse in the sense that we need to provide information on how we collect and analyze data to be credible and cited and replicated. We want to be replicated, actually. Citations are, of course, an important measure of success in academia. So I think that the academic community has a role to play to help devise, develop metrics that are scientifically valid. And so far, we haven't done as much as we should have, I feel. And so our exercise is one of the first trying to say, what type of information do we have? Which one is correct? Which one is valid? How is information collected? And to be completely transparent about this. And eventually, we're hoping that everybody's going to be transparent about these metrics on how they came up with various variables. Measuring environmental and social issues is complex, and we need to see more research uh, conducted on this. Okay, we will all hope for enlightenment and hopefully for action as well. And we'll look forward to your next report. Professor Maggie Delmas, many thanks to you. It's great to have you. Thank you. Looking forward to the next time. Me too. I'm Orman Alney, and this has been an episode of How the World Works. That's a podcast series from the UCLA Anderson School of Management. Thanks so much for listening.